Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. I'm your host. Uh, this podcast is devoted to entrepreneurs, founders, startups, accelerators, and also the VCs and angels, family offices, investments, firms who serve them. Um, but we're also uh, today have a, have a special guest um, who is joining us, a senior advisor um, to Uniplat, uh, which we will be describing in this podcast, a technology transfer platform for um, uh, for less developed countries to be on a level playing field with more developed countries. I'm a part of it. Very excited to be so, um, and also very excited to welcome Martin de Hope um, to our podcast. Welcome, Martin. Thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here and uh, and you know have this opportunity to speak uh, also about Uniplat and things that we are interested in doing. Yes, and I I just uh, there's there's new sound effects on this podcast, so I just uh, you didn't hear, but Mar Martin arrived to um, amazing applause, all of it machine generated. <laughs> but uh, but we'll spare you that. But but I love your. Um, um, uh, I, I'm going to really enjoy introducing you, um, Martin, because uh, um, according to um, uh, Rice University, where you are a professor, um, you study extracting subtle sing signal information from data sets produced from advances in data acquisition by dense arrays and sensor technology. You're trying to exploit the foundations of the theory of seismic waves, their properties, and multi-scale interaction with complex, highly heterogeneous media. I guess some people would say heter heterogeneous and nonlinear inverse theory, and in developing new paradigms for large, um, large-scale computing. And there's sort of a, a much easier way to introduce you. And uh, you you tell me if this is is fair, but I, I think of you as you're the person who is doing the journey to the center of the earth, like the movie. You're very interested in the earth, right? And how what's going on down there, and 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 sort of how it all works. How, how would you describe what you do? Yeah, that is that is a very uh, you know accurate way of describing on a high level what uh, what I've been interested in uh, for a good part of my career. So. Um, yeah, so the technicalities aside that you actually already mentioned, so I'm interested in looking at any sort of data we can acquire realistically, either at the surface of the Earth or with satellites around the Earth, and from that data infer what is inside the Earth. Um, and think of it on the one hand, it's not just making an image like you would make a medical image uh, of, a, of a patient, but really understanding from when you sort of try to say what is inside, what's actually going on, what is the dynamics, what is the chemistry. Um, and, and in fact, by looking inside the Earth, even looking into the evolution of our planet. So can we say something what happened over time uh, by going very deep into the Earth? So, uh, so yeah, that's correct. And we do that uh, indeed with the elements you mentioned. It is uh, the theory of inverse problems we work hard on techniques in deep learning to analyze data or analyze the inverse problems with available data. What, what is an inverse and, problem? Uh, I, I don't know what an inverse problem is. What does that mean? So an inverse problem is uh, the best comparison is, is ultrasound and, and the patient. So when you do ultrasound, 
they put a sensor uh, on your skin, essentially, and they generate sound inside, uh, you know, you, the human body. And they look at what happens to the sound. And then it comes back to the sensor that is on your skin and they make an image. And what they really see is contrast. So you can see, you know, organs, you can see bones, structures and so forth. So you're trying to use the data from outside to look what is actually inside. And so that's essentially the essence of an inverse problem. And of course, you can generalize it to very different type of measurements. But is, is, it, is it not unlike, um, I just saw a documentary called Patrick and the Whale about a sperm whale. Is it not unlike the way that a sperm whale uses sonar in the depths of the ocean to make out what what's down there? Is it a similar proposition? Sonar. Yeah, sonar is, is also an example. So sonar can be used to probe indeed either the ocean bottom or uh, you can even you know probe the the properties of the of the ocean temperatures and the like so these are all inverse problems that is correct in our case in the earth be in the case of a whale uh, the whale makes actively uh, the sound uh, in the earth we use passive data so we use earthquakes or we use noise on the earth so we use data that we do not generate or not consciously generate mm -hmm. but we use data that naturally is generated through the dynamics uh, of our planet itself. So that is maybe the difference. And that's also what we do, by the way, uh, with other planetary observations, with missions to, uh, to other planets uh, in our want, solar system. I do want to know how this, um, why this particular kind of science attracted you. But I, I'm also curious as to what, what would most surprise the average person about what's down there? In the in the depths of the Earth, and how far down are we talking about? How far down is, how you know, how far down do you have to go to get to the middle of the Earth, for example? Yeah. So, um, in principle, we go all the way to the center of the Earth nowadays with available data uh, on our planet, um, and we can do that because it is not that we use data that was collected, you know, today or yesterday we use accumulation of data over decades and surely the measurements have become more accurate but the older data are still very useful so we use data in a very comprehensive way so that is one thing that allows us um, to look very deep but of course there are new technologies that uh, i will leave aside for now to discuss for example i mentioned one example the technologies of optical fibers so there were optical fibers used in communication, telecommunication. Some of these fibers are no longer used and some of them run under the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And so you can use these optical fibers now as sensors. It's called distributed acoustic sensing. So we have these lines, these opportunities to actually do measurements where we never had measurements before. So they complement in the modern world data from longer ago. So Combining many technologies, uh, this is just an example, we can, we can get a pretty comprehensive picture of the Earth. To come back to your, your first question, um, of course, it's hard to tell what surprises people most, but what surprised me uh, a long time ago, when we were first looking into phase transitions uh, near the core, the outer core, what we call the core mental boundary of the Earth, that's halfway from the surface to the center of the Earth. Mm. Um, something that was then uh, under debate or under study whether this existed or not. We were able to, to find that, to identify it and locate it. Uh, 
And if things are sort of happening very suddenly, so they're very sharp, then it's actually amazing, even with earthquakes that generate waves that you measure, that do not look like very high resolution, that you can determine that on the scale of a few kilometers and on the scale of thousands of kilometers. I think it's quite astounding that you can, you can say things on the scale, on, on a very, very small scale, a very high resolution with these passive data. So I think that is the main surprise. But then the surprises are also, you know, all sort of aspects of what happens underneath Hawaii. Like what is exactly the hotspot of Hawaii? Um, these are very complex phenomena that are taking place. And, uh, and then we go deeper into all sort of other questions or physical questions. You know, another way of asking this would be, what exactly are you looking for in your research? So my, so my background is, is mathematics. And so we are looking at ways of determining, if you look inside the earth, into material properties of the earth. And so by looking at material properties at this moment in time, we can relate them to processes that take place in the earth. So it is sort of an interface between the process and the data observation, or actually looking at, at properties of materials or the state of materials, if you wish. And so, um, so it's very interesting to sort of to build that interface. Now, on the deeper level, um, you can ask questions like, what are the equations of state? Uh, that's particularly interesting, not on our planet, perhaps, but if you go to, for example, the solar system giant planets like Saturn or Jupiter, um, matter is studied there under extreme conditions. This inverse problem sort of looks inside these planets and hopefully will give us a better insight into, into the state of matter, uh, what actually happens there. So these are very fundamental physical questions. And so you're interested not just inside the Earth, but inside uh, all planets that we can observe. Yes, I'm interested in, um, indeed, in measurements at planets where we can get at the moment. And uh, that includes Mars, that includes Jupiter. Is there, um, is there, a, is there a subtext here of um, search for intelligent forms of life? Well, habitability, I would say. What is a, a subject of great interest to me is how, how are actually habitable bodies not only in our own solar system, but, you know, amongst exoplanets, how, the, how are they formed? You know, what are the conditions that habitable bodies actually form, um, you know, around the star? So these are sort of the, perhaps the most fundamental questions I'm interested in. Of course, I don't have an answer to that at this moment, but oh, I'm working with quite many people. On this. How much time do you need? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm guessing, though, that in your field, you're probably, I'm just guessing, but but maybe you have discovered more with better tools and better data and better analytics than maybe you would have guessed at the beginning of your career. Is that fair? Has it come farther uh, than or further than you, you had thought? I I think you summarize this very well. I've, I've given sometimes talks on high schools and they ask, you know, about my life's journey. And if I would have thought that I would do machine learning on a mission on Mars and discover new signals that that would be my future, I would be in great disbelief if 
someone would have told me that at my young age. It's way beyond my wildest dreams, what, what we're doing today. Did you ever? Uh, and indeed, on the level. Forgive me, did, did you ever at the beginning think, oh, I've actually got my head in the sand? <laughs> Would you hear? <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yes. <yeah. laughs> um, uh, Martin, um, let, let me ask you, um, we're going to talk about Uniplat in a second, but let me ask you about um, why this field appealed to you as a, you know, as a kid or as a younger man. Um, is there some backstory to um, your focus and, and your interest in this? Because it seems like everyone these days, um, not everyone, but but many people, you know, they're all looking outward at, you know, at the stars and sort of trying to figure out what's out there and what we know and what we don't know. What, what in your background kind of sent you in this particular direction? Yeah, different stages. I I was interested in physics uh, at, at at a young age, mm -hmm. um, and so, and then I thought, well, how do I fit it into other interests? And I had a very interest in in our planet uh, at the time, and so how do I reconcile these two interests? Um, kept me sort of occupied. Um, while I was in, in high school planet, and the like. You were interested in the physical planet. You wanted to know about the Earth proper. Yeah, and and even further, you know, like over time, you know, how, how are planets formed? Of course, a lot of it is known today about it, but I was very curious in, in high school about it. So uh, the broad picture about it. And so um, I started out studying theoretical physics and then moved later for my PhD in mathematics in applied mathematics to, to sort of fill in these details. I've sort of made a journey um, to sort of prepare myself to, to be able to do this. Having said it at the same time, I didn't realize when I was young sort of how much emphasis would there actually be on data analysis. And that sort of got me interested at, at a later stage. But I realized everything sort of boiled down to very fundamental questions in data analytics, data analysis, but of course, that is today the world of, of deep learning. To what degree has what the data shown you surprised you and other scientists in this field? Is it is it a revelatory discipline that you're in or is uh, our, our, our hypotheses fairly close to the truth? I think it, it, it has turned things upside down, I would say. Really? What we have discovered, what is in data. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I think it's fair to say that there's information in data uh, that a decade ago people maybe would have imagined would exist, but had no idea how to assess that. And that this is now provably accessible is has been a, a complete revolution, I think. And I don't think we are at the end of that. It's just beginning. No. Um, and uh, Martin, let's talk about Uniplat. So it's a technology transfer platform. You are clearly involved in, um, uh, I almost would call it deep technology, deep tech. Um, this is this is very um, esoteric is the wrong word, but it's it's very sophisticated. It's very complex. 
Um, and so what, what I think Uniplat hopes to do is to open the door to people, scientists, inventors, entrepreneurs in less developed countries. Um, and I'm just wondering from your perspective, how is that door shut now without kind of a vehicle like Uniplat? Is it very difficult for scientists who aren't lucky enough to be in the U.S. or in the developed world in particular to to break through and to get the funding and to get the support they need is is it is it very difficult i i think it is very challenging i um of course it depends on certain you know locations regions on earth where maybe there's more success than others but globally i i think that is challenging and this is this is of course a very global subject and i my own experience has been, I, I've been quite involved in Costa Rica, um, doing and, and getting research off the ground there. Um, and, you know, the country, of course, is, is well connected to the US, but even there, I think research funding uh, is limited in, mm -hmm. uh, in scope and opportunities could be much, much larger. And that's just one small example, a tiny little dot on our planet. I think there are vast areas uh, on our planet that could greatly benefit from developing this interface and creating these opportunities, uh, also through sort of developing partnerships, not only between entrepreneurs creating funding could lead to new technologies that could be beneficial in many different ways. Well, let's take that example of Costa Rica uh, because you're, you're so familiar with it. So um, a scientist, let's say in your field in Costa Rica, there's no, I'm assuming there's very little government support. There's very little academic support. Um, it's almost as if to pursue that, acad that academic or scientific dream, they would, they would have to leave the country effectively, right? They would have to find a place where they could go find uh, people like yourself to guide them in you know in major universities is 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 so the so are, are people in that situation in Costa Rica are they kind of is it kind of a dead end or can it be a dead end i i think it is a matter of scale so there are definitely uh, it's definitely true that many people from Costa Rica went you know away and did phd's and didn't come back some of them did come back and have built you know, here and there, um, centers of, you know, of, of great research activity, but access to, you know, resources to expand on that has been very limited. So I think it's an example where uh, a platform like Uniplat could have very quickly an impact because there are already people in place and groups in place that could very quickly sort of accelerate opportunities uh, in this particular case. I don't think that is true for any any country like Costa Rica, but in that case, Costa Rica definitely um, would be well set up for that. So with Costa Rica as a microcosm of the, the challenge or the issue or the opportunity, um, what's, the, what's the macrocosm? To what degree is it difficult for researchers, let's say not in Western Europe, not in the United States or North America, um, uh, not in not in population centers to participate in what what you know like you the you know the great scientific inquiry which is always happening and always going on 
Um, are they, um, um, is, it a, is it a problem that is, it's obviously not unique to Costa Rica, so it must be, my guess is that it's a pretty prevalent problem. All over the world. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think it is. And uh, I also think, uh, what, what I think is the challenge is to have a mechanism or an interface in place that sort of removes as much possible roadblocks and gives as direct as possible a connection to opportunities is what could make the difference. Mm. Um, of course, there are many, many programs of funding agencies, even in the US, the third world countries that are possibilities, but that goes through many, many sort of channels. Um, I think with Uniplat, you can sort of have a very direct way of of making progress here on a in a possibly in a very efficient way. So I think this is where where Uniplat can play one of its unique roles to accelerate this and make it much more accessible. So when you say um, uh, uh, you know the, look at the role of Uniplat, what's what would a scenario look like where somebody could actually um, jumpstart the research? maybe um, jump ahead um, in a way that is not possible otherwise. Do you, do you see that happening? I, I can imagine, you know, through the interface that, that groups, um, you know, in, in countries, in like third world countries, uh, could develop sort of a, a research plan or even in the case of work I'm doing, just available data. Uh, what gives tremendous opportunities for research and sort of pose some very interesting questions and challenges that could be done um, and seek then for a way to fund this or build a partnership. So I, I think the fact, the two sides of it, that like, for example, in Costa Rica, they're in a unique situation where they have a very short earthquake cycle. They have observations that are unique in the world. It's a great research environment for the world to actually uh, work and interface with. And of course, they have contacts already with certainly with the United States. Um, um, but it would allow the groups themselves to expand and build, I think, larger programs. So um, I think the interface is on the one hand, the people that are already there, the challenges and then, you know, availabilities, uh, available data or data that could be acquired that would complement things that we do today uh, in, in quite dramatic ways. So you were drawn to Costa Rica in particular because of uh, earthquakes there? Yes, the earthquake, the earthquake cycle, the slow slip events were one of the uh, subjects that can be studied extremely well in Costa Rica. So to circle back. Um, yeah. <clears throat> to your research and to try to put these pieces together. Um, what, what, what do you think, what do you foresee in the next five to 10 years in your research and the things you're going to be able to determine? And what, this is always a larger question is, what are the implications um, of what you're learning to the society at large? Um, this is always nice. a tough question for science, of course. Um, there are places where we see tremendous impact, like uh, CRISPR editing and 
gene, um, you know, the human genome project and things like that. But your, your, um, I don't want to say your research is buried, Martin, but you know, it's out of sight. <laughs> your subject is out of sight, right? So what, what, mm -hmm. what are you hoping to learn? What would be a wonderful outcome for you uh, as a scientist um, in the rest of your career? Every year. Yeah, it is a very good question and it, it has many aspects, but in terms of connection to society at large, I think, you know, natural hazards, climate change are mm. subjects that are very close to things that I'm doing um, on the data side. And so if you really understand earthquake dynamics um, and data will play a very big role, better, better understanding analysis of data where indeed you know, AI will play a very big role as mm -hmm. it is beginning to. Um, this could range from forecasting. So forecasting is a very big subject. I'm, I'm deeply interested in causal inference. Um, so what can we, what can we do in terms of uh, prevent major catastrophes amongst human populations or economic centers like early warning centers? Um, you have a big city, uh, it's in an earthquake zone. You have an early warning system. When do you actually, uh, you know, issue a warning, shut down or evacuate? That is a huge economic decision to be made. Can we actually, can we make these decisions properly? Mm. This all goes back to data analysis. Um, in terms of climate, uh, you know, look at, at, you know, the ice caps and melt on the Arctic and Antarctica is very closely related to, uh, to work we do can we get a real understanding through analyzing data uh, what is really what is really the rate and that will play a very big role in getting much better predictions what climate is actually doing and that of course is a huge impact uh, around the world understanding climate uh, from observations in the, the arctic and arctic regions so i see it very much from that side where my work will play a role it is not it could possible have interest in industrial applications, of course, but that is sort of where I, I see that it plays a role. So in, in climate change, of course, we can all, we can all relate to nowadays. Um, so you're gleaning enormous amounts of data. Um, part of your expertise is like, how do you fathom all this data? How do you make sense of it? So, so what you're saying is like, this is real data from the real world, from literally from Earth. Um, so you were, you were it, it, rather than um, guessing about certain things that are happening, um, it sounds like you're able to pinpoint them. And, and maybe you could give an example of that where, where you literally know maybe it's the temperature of the earth in a given place, or maybe, uh, maybe you have some data that really could be valuable. What would be an example of that? Well, like, let me give an example from the uh, from the earthquake site. So, the what we would like to understand is, of course, what is the risk of a major earthquake to happen, in particular near or in urban centers. Hmm. And so, what has been discovered this already a while ago um, that there are events or things happening in in the earth in subduction zones that are identified as slow slip events. Now, in in simple terms, it is basically a slow slip event. It can be a large earthquake, but it takes place over months. Oh. And so it is essentially not damaging. 
But it's great to know if that happens, because if it happens, that of course influences greatly the risk that an actual earthquake would happen in the same region. There are many details behind it that, of course, I don't speak about here. And so it is very interesting to know whether we can listen to the Earth and know whether slow slip events are happening or not. And so with the deep learning, it is one of the things that we do. We develop techniques to identify um, that slow slip events are actually happening somewhere. And so that has a huge impact on forecasting. These are data, very complicated data that by just doing signal processing, uh, you would never have discovered these, these type of signals or data. And uh, so that is an example that that is a, a very active line of research as we speak. Other examples is volcanic monitoring. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Give the other example. Yeah, that example is, for example, volcanic monitoring. So volcanic monitoring, of course, is traditionally done looking at seismicity. Um, but can we get more information about, out, out of these measurements that give us a much more accurate and, uh, you know, forecasting capability, but also more time? And in case of certain volcanoes where seismicity is not a good indicator, can we find other data signals to know the, the state of a volcano? So this is another example where well, my lab has been working on. And as we speak, there's a there's an incredible volcanic eruption in Hawaii um, yeah. right now. Right. Um, it may, incredibly beautiful. Did you see that one coming? <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, but was that a surprise to you or was that sort of something you'd anticipated for a while? Well, I, I'm, I'm not working on, on, the, on Hawaii. So to me, I've not been uh, involved in it, but it's not a surprise to me, I would say. But of course, the exact timing, uh, that is a different story. That is, that is a surprise, I'm sure. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's not just where, it's when, right? It's when it happens. Yep. Well, listen, Mar Mar exactly. Martin, uh, Martin de Hoop, uh, professor at Rice University, it's been great to have you. I, I can't say that I've understood everything you've been telling us, but, um, but you've done a great job of, uh, of making it accessible. And um, I'm really excited to be working with you directly uh, on Uniplat, and um, we all hope this will be a tremendous platform uh, for technology transfer to to bring scientists to the world, to bring science to the world that maybe otherwise would not have been visible or known. So it's it's a great thing, and uh, I'm I'm really grateful for your time. So thank you so much. My pleasure, and it is also a great pleasure to be to be part of this about the the Uniplat. Uh, platform and uh, and the future yeah. yes. thank you very much for having Beautiful me team um so uh you've been listening to the accelerator i'm michael conniff you can find me at michaelconniff.com m-i-c-h-a-e-l-c-o-n-n-i-f-f.com also at michael conniff on twitter um this has uh, uh been our podcast um about uniplat we're we're going to continue to do these. Um, and uh, we will be back with uh, the next podcast before you know it. Thanks for listening.